Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. This is the Simi Sarah Show On Demand. Subscribe now on iTunes. Listen to the show each weekday 10 to 2 on 980 CKNW and through the Radio Player app. We've been hearing a lot about the coronavirus, COVID-19. It has been dominating the news cycles, and rightly so. People concerned about the spread of the virus. We were chatting with a reporter in Rome where the entire country is under lockdown, all of Italy now being told, if you do go out, you have to stay a meter away from people around you. Some restaurants open, but closing early. Lineups at some of the supermarkets. Not to crazy hoarding, like we've seen in some other places, but certainly one of the bigger developments Yesterday, So a lot of other stories, though, have been coming forward with people saying, I heard that you had to have a fever. I heard somebody only had a small cough and they recovered and then they were found to be positive for the virus. A lot of questions about what exactly the symptoms are. So let's bring in Jason Tetro, home, a host of the Super Awesome Science Show, author of The Germ Code and The Germ Files. Jason, thanks for being back on the program. Hey, great to be talking with you again. So this does seem to be, it seems like it's been changing a bit. And uh, I guess as, as in the news business, because we're talking about it so much, we can refer to the symptoms, but people have been emailing saying, well, what exactly are they? Uh, do you know, is there a, a definitive list of what the symptoms of this virus are? Well, th- th- there's essentially suspect symptoms, um, which unfortunately are flu-like. Um, the way that you know based on symptoms is if you get a more serious infection, which is a pneumonia, and that will give you the the hint that, yes, indeed, there is something going on. And a pneumonia, of course, is where you feel, um, you know, obstructions in your chest when you're breathing. However, as this has evolved, we've learned that, much like all the other respiratory viruses, there are levels of infection, and therefore, there are going to be levels of symptoms. Hmm. So the and for somebody that would never have had a pneumonia and wouldn't know what a pneumonia felt like, that would kind of throw a bit more confusion into it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, a pneumonia. So let's put it this way: if you have something like a common cold or, or something like that, you have a cough, you're sneezing, you're not feeling so great, you might have a fever. If you have, you know, a flu, <clears throat> it feels like you know a gorilla is sitting on your chest and you're having a difficult time breathing along with all the other symptoms. When you have pneumonia, not only is it that gorilla is sitting on your chest, but you also feel like you're just not getting enough air because what's happening is that your lungs are being clogged up. And so um, that is having an effect on pretty much everything that you're doing. So you're not only fatigued due to the fever and other things, you're actually fatigued because you're just not getting enough of the oxygen. And that's where, you know, long before that, you're probably wanting to find uh, some kind of medical attention uh, because by the time you've reached that pneumonia stage, uh, it could be pretty serious, especially with this virus. Can, do we know that if, if you, can you be positive for COVID-19 for this virus and not have a fever? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Because remember, uh, positivity means that you have the virus inside of you. 
and and that doesn't necessarily mean that it's actually causing any kind of infection. And and this is the type of thing that we see where we have carriers who basically have the virus inside of them, but it's not actually doing anything to them, and their immune system is either taking care of it already or there's you know no symptoms happening. And I think what had happened is when this first came out, we heard about such dramatic cases of people with, uh, you know, needing IC uh, intensive care and, uh, you know, and dying that no one really considered that this was just like every other respiratory virus and that you might actually be a carrier. And we're slowly starting to see that happening. And this is one of the reasons why there's this sort of issue of is it, gonna, is it eventually going to become uncontrolled as a result of the fact that we're just not going to know who's actually infected. Hmm. And I think that's what people are finding a, a little bit confusing, too, in that we've been told that because this is a brand new virus, we don't have immunity to it because we've never been exposed to it before. Mm-hmm. So people would think the minute you get it or if you are exposed to it, if it's in your body, uh, th- there's the assumption that you will get sick. Well, if it went into your bloodstream, yeah, that's how it would work. But remember, your lungs have their own level of protection. So before you even get to the cells, you've got that mucus, you've got the air surface interface or air liquid interface, and then eventually you get down to the cells. So essentially what's happening is that, you know, you may be only exposed to a small number of these viruses, and as a result, they're not going to be able to cause a huge infection inside of you. Um, it's only when they get into those cells, it's only when they start to multiply and start infecting other cells, that's where you get that incubation period of five to seven days. And then at that point, you start getting symptoms. So anytime within the moment that you have exposure to the point where you have symptoms, you may have the virus inside of you and never actually know it. Hmm. And, and that's a, an interesting one, too, because we often don't talk about the amount of the virus is if mm-hmm. you get exposed to a, a, a droplet rather than, say, you're living with somebody who has it and you're exposed to a lot of it. The, the, how does the amount of the virus, uh, virus play into it? We don't yet know what the minimal infectious dose is, what we call it, uh, happens to be for this particular virus. However, for most of these respiratory viruses, you're looking at around a thousand viruses, which is a fair number if someone happens to be really infected, has lots of symptoms, and gets a drop onto you, because that drop may have something like 10 to 100,000 in it. So you definitely don't want that drop getting inside of you. Um, The other thing is that you have to somehow get that sort of thousand or whatever inside of you, and it has to go into your respiratory tract, down your lungs, to a point where it can actually do the infection. And so that's also sort of something that we have to think about is how is it possible that we're shedding enough of this virus for people to get sick, but it's also somehow getting into the body far enough down So there has to be some kind of transfer or transmission that's going on that we're still not quite sure about. And so this is one of the reasons why we're seeing um, a lot of these actions that are being taken, these measures to be able to prevent people from coming into contact with each other. And and does that make it more kind of bewildering seeing the community transfers? Or I mean, it it seems like, and I know we're we're kind of beating up on the cruise ship industry, but it makes sense. Everyone's on a cruise ship if you're touching the same surfaces and it's manifesting Mm -hmm. there. Different than somebody who who has been a community case, and there's a case in BC where we still don't know where that person got it. Yeah. I mean, if you can trace it, that's great. And and as much as people, you know, are beaten down on cruise ships, and the last time we talked, I said I probably would never take one. The fact is, is that it actually gives you a really nice origin point, a nucleus to be able to identify tracers. However, 
when you start seeing people who have come into contact with individuals that either have no linkage back to cruise ships or China or some other hotspot, um, it becomes troubling because what that means is that this may actually be spreading, perhaps even under the radar with people who are not showing symptoms and therefore increasing in size. Now, I don't think this is happening so much here in Canada, but I do believe this is happening more in the States. Right. And do you take some, some I, I guess, is it a positive thing that we're now seeing in China, which has taken probably the most uh, uh, severe actions to quarantine people or to stop the movement of people? The number of cases has slowed down considerably there, uh, as opposed to, say, Italy, places where we're still seeing the spread. Does that show that by stopping movement of people and by stopping that we can actually get the upper hand? Oh, yeah. But I mean, these are actions that are way too late that are essentially extending the uh, curve of uh, transmission way too long. I mean, for China, it was January 18th where they had this Wuhan festival. If China had actually told everybody this was spread human to human, like we now know, I don't think they would have gone through with the festival and probably they would never have had the problem that they have right now. Same thing with Italy. Um, There was some kind of event that was going on. And unfortunately, this led to the virus getting into a number of places where they had high susceptibility. In other words, people who are very high at risk of having severe symptoms. And then that just spread like wildfire. So the fact is that if you initially know that, yes, it's there, and you know that it can spread from human to human in ways that we still can't track, the best thing to do is to start getting that social distancing in place. Now, does that mean you have to cancel events like South by Southwest, which has 500,000 people? Mm, that's That's a tough one to call. But it does mean that you can at least have some control over that, get people to quarantine, isolate, prevent that type of um, interaction with individuals, uh, and and you might be able to essentially um, prevent it, control it, contain it, without having to do these massive quarantines like we've seen now in China, Italy, and you know Austin, Texas. And so just before I let you go, as far as symptoms, because I still think there are people that if you have a cold, maybe even if you have a mild flu, and if you're concerned about this, which a lot of people are, at what point do you know or do you, what point should you be concerned that maybe it's not just a cold or a mild flu, you could have this virus? I would like you to think of it a different way. If you have symptoms of something that seems to be either a cold or the flu, contact your healthcare professional. Right now, the COVID-19 test is being included in most of the respiratory virus checks that are being done, which means that if there is a concern, they may invite you to come in. You may not have the medical or travel history or any of that type of thing, and they may just simply say, "Mm, keep yourself monitored. But if you do have that, they'll ask you to come in and you'll get a test. This is the way that we maintain control. You yourself take responsibility for your hygiene and as well as your health. And if you do feel that there is a concern, reach out to your healthcare professionals. That's what they're there for. Don't go into the emergency rooms or anything like that. Just make the phone call. And then at that point, you can work with them, the, the healthcare professionals, to be able to identify whether or not there is a risk. And if there is, you'll find out sooner than later. All right. That is good advice. Jason, thank you so much. I'm sure we will talk to you again, but thanks for your time today. It was a pleasure. Take care. Jason Tetro is the host of the Super Awesome Science Show, also the author of The Germ Code and The Germ Files.